Chapter Two of the Millionaire Baby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Millionaire Baby by Anna K. Green. Chapter Two. A Fearsome Man. The effect of this statement upon me was greater than even she had contemplated. You thought the child had been stolen for the reward she would bring? She continued. She was not. She was taken out of pure hate, and that is why I suffer so. What may they not do to her? Oh, in what hole hide her? My darling, oh, my darling. She was going off into hysterics, but the look and touch I gave her recalled her to herself. We need to be calm, I urged. You, because you have something of importance to impart, and I, because of the action I must take as soon as the facts you have concealed become known to me. What gives you such confidence in this belief? which I am sure is not shared by the police, and who is the someone who, as you say, is playing upon Mrs. Ocumpaugh's fears. A short time ago it was as the wretch you spoke of him. Are not someone and the wretch one and the same person, and can you not give him now a name? We had been moving all this time in the direction of the station, and had now reached the foot of the platform. Pausing, she cast a last look up the bank. The trees were thick and hid from our view the Ocumpa mansion, but in imagination she beheld the mother moaning over that little shoe. "'I shall never return there,' she muttered. "'Why do I hesitate so to speak?' Then in a burst, as I watched her in growing excitement, she, Mrs. Ocumpa, begged me not to tell what she believed had nothing to do with our Gwendolen's loss." but I cannot keep silent. This proof of a conspiracy against herself certainly relieves me from any promise I may have made her. Mr. Trevitt, I am positive that I know who carried off Gwendolen. This was becoming interesting, intensely interesting to me. Glancing about and noting that the group down at the water's edge had become absorbed again in renewed efforts toward further discoveries, I beckoned her to follow me into the station. It was but a step, but it gave me time to think. What was I encouraging this young girl to do, to reveal to me, who had no claim upon her but that of friendship, a secret which had not been given to the police? True, it might not be worth much, but it was also true that it might be worth a great deal. Did she know how much? I wanted money, few wanted it more, but I felt that I could not listen to her story till I had fairly settled this point. I therefore hastened to interpose a remark. Miss Graham, you are good enough to offer to reveal some fact hitherto concealed. Do you do this because you have no closer friend than myself, or because you do not know what such knowledge may be worth to the person you give it to, in money, I mean? In money? I am not thinking of money, was her amazed reply. I am thinking of Gwendolen. I understand, but you should think of the practical results as well. Have you not heard of the enormous reward offered by Mr. Ocumpaugh? No, I... Five thousand dollars for information, and fifty thousand to the one who will bring her back within the week unharmed. Mr. Ocumpaugh cabled to that effect yesterday. "'It is a large sum,' she faltered, and for a moment she hesitated. Then, with a sweet and candid look, which sank deep into my heart, 
she added gravely, I had rather not think of money in connection with Gwendolen. If what I have to tell you leads to her recovery, you can be trusted, I know, to do what is right toward me. Mr. Trevitt, the man who stole her from her couch and carried her away through Mrs. Acumpa's grounds in a wagon or otherwise, is long-haired, a heavily whiskered man of sixty or more years of age. His face is deeply wrinkled, but chiefly marked by a long scar running down between his eyebrows, which are so shaggy that they would quite hide his eyes if they were not lit up with an extraordinary expression of resolution, carried almost to the point of frenzy. A fearsome man, making your heart stand still when he pauses to speak to you. Startled as I had seldom been, for reasons which will hereafter appear, I surveyed her in mingled wonder and satisfaction. His name? I demanded. I do not know his name. Again I stopped to look at her. Does Mrs. Ocampa? I do not think so. She only knows what I told her. And what did you tell her? Ah, who are these? Two or three persons had entered the station, probably to wait for the next train. No one who will molest you. But she was not content till we had withdrawn to where the timetable hung on the opposite wall. Turning about as if to consult it, she told the following story. I never see a timetable now, but I think of her expression as she stood there, looking up as if her mind were fixed on what she probably did not see at all. Last Wednesday, no, it was on the Wednesday preceding, I was taking a ride with Gwendolen on one of the side roads branching off toward Fordham. We were in her own little pony cart, and as we seldom rode together like this, she had been chattering away about a hundred things till her eyes danced in her head, and she looked as lovely as I had ever seen her. But suddenly, just as we were about to cross a small wooden bridge, I saw her turn pale and her whole sensitive form quiver. "'Someone I don't like,' she cried. "'There is someone about whom I don't like. "'Drive on, Ellie, drive on.' But before I could gather up the reins, a figure which I had not noticed before stepped from behind a tree at the farther end of the bridge, and advancing into the middle of the road with arms thrown out, stopped our advance. I have told you how he looked.' but I can give you no idea of the passionate fury lighting up his eyes, or the fiery dignity with which he held his place, and kept us subdued to his will, till he had looked the shrinking child all over, and laughed. Not as a madman laughs, oh, much too slow and ironically for that, but like one who takes an unholy pleasure in mocking the happy present with evil prophecy." Nothing that I can say will make you see him as I saw him in that one instant, and though there was much in the circumstance to cause fear, I think it was more awe than fright we felt, so commanding was his whole appearance, and so forcible the assurance with which he held us there until he was ready to move. Gwendolen cried out, but the imploring sound had no effect upon him. It only reawakened his mirth and led him to say, in a clear, cold, mocking tone which I hear yet, "'Cry out, little one, cry out, for your short day is nearly over. Silks and feathers and carriages and servants will soon be a half-forgotten memory to you. And write that it should be so. Ten days, little one, only ten days more.' 
and with that he moved and slipped aside behind the tree, allowing us to drive on. Mr. Trivet, yesterday was the end of those ten days, and where is she now? Only that man knows. He is one man in a thousand. Can you not find him? She turned. A train was coming, a train which it was very evident she felt it her duty to take. I had no right to detain her, but I found time for a question or two. "'And you told Mrs. Ocumpa this?' "'The moment we arrived home.' "'And she? What did she think of it?' "'Mrs. Ocumpa is not a talkative woman. "'She grew very white and clasped the child passionately in her arms. "'But the next minute she had to all appearances "'dismissed the whole occurrence from her thoughts. "'Some socialistic fanatic, she called him, "'and merely advised me to stop driving with Gwendolen for the present.' "'Didn't you recall the matter to her when you found the child missing?' "'Yes, but then she appeared to regard it in a superstitious way only. "'It was a warning of death,' she said, "'and the man an irresponsible clairvoyant. "'When I tried to urge my own idea upon her "'and describe how I thought he might have obtained access to the bungalow "'and carried her off, while still asleep, "'to some vehicle awaiting them in Mrs. Carew's grounds,' She only rebuked me for my folly, and bade me keep still about the whole occurrence, saying that I should only be getting some poor, half-demented old wretch into trouble, for something for which he was not in the least responsible. A very considerate woman, I remarked, to which Miss Graham made reply as the train came storming up. Nobody knows how considerate, even if she has dismissed me rather suddenly from her service. Don't let that wretch, again she used the word, deceive her or you into thinking that that little one perished in the water. Gwendolen is alive, I say. Find him and you will find her. I saw his resolution in his eye. Here she made a rush for the cars, and I had time only to get her future address before the train started and all further opportunity of conversation between us was over for that day. I remained behind, because I was by no means through with my investigations. What she had told me only convinced me of the necessity I had already recognized of making myself master of all that could be learned at Homewood, before undertaking the very serious business of locating the child, or even the aged man just described to me and who I was now sure had been the chief, if not the sole, instrument in her abduction. End of chapter 2